0: You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode 340, 340 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host this evening. Hopefully you're listening to it on an evening Or that intro will sound strange It's a new year and I hope you had a nice Christ mass And a pleasant Gregorian calendar event Because it's only new years to some people It's not new years to other other people And in fact I am one of those people who think uh, the new year should begin like march 1st or something like that sounds it's more logical but anyway if you want to support the podcast please leave a nice review on itunes and uh, a five-star review on spotify only takes you a few seconds and costs you nothing you can also follow me on on x on twitter old twitter uh, born alchemist and uh, search National Alchemist on YouTube and on Rumble. Um, now, in this episode, my guest is Dr. Jenny Martin, a psychologist who turned her battle with depression into a groundbreaking approach to mental health. Instead of traditional methods, Dr. Jenny found healing in sacred sexuality, a spiritual practice rooted in esoteric tradition. Her journey paved the way for her to study psychology, neuroplasticity, and mind-body medicine, leading to a unique understanding of the transformative power of sexual pleasure. Dr. Jenny advocates for female sexual pleasure as a tool for healing and achieving altered states of consciousness, delivering teachings backed by scientific research. Now, let's talk to Dr. Jenny Martin. So thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Great to be here. I've enjoyed listening to your podcast.
0: So can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and and what you do?
1: Yes, I am a psychologist and sexuality educator, but I am interested in the fact that we have endogenous DMT inside of us and the potential of activating a psychedelic state organically without taking any plant medicine through sex, through sexual pleasure, um, possibly self-pleasure, but primarily with a partner. And so I teach classes and I work with men and women all around the world and um, lead them through a protocol that I've developed and uh, science-based But I also draw upon ancient wisdom and what my focus is, having grown up in a Catholic household, and I don't identify as Catholic anymore, but the ancient wisdom that I draw on is what I believe is the lost lineage of Mary Magdalene and Jesus, and them accessing a psychedelic state, both of them individually, um, through lovemaking. And I see that as a hidden wisdom actually in the Gospel of Philip. Um, You certainly can't read it literally, um, but I see it as there. And I understand, just to uh, say this up front, I understand that that is considered, uh, you know, for the most part as a Gnostic gospel. I'm intrigued by a woman who is a theologian from Harvard named Megan Watterson, who has stated in her book that she doesn't see that there were people, you know, back in that time who actually identified as Gnostics. So she doesn't attribute some of these different Nag Hammadi scrolls as Gnostic. So I personally haven't, you know, spent a long time studying Gnosticism because I haven't been felt an affinity for it. But I'm looking at the Gospel of Philip as a text, having had the experience viscerally in my body of a psychedelic state through, you know, through lovemaking. I am now reading that, you know, I subsequently read the Gospel of Philip with new eyes, and was able to see a potential of wisdom here that they're actually speaking about this. Now, you have to you know, realize that it's, it's written more like poetry, so it doesn't lend itself to a particular literal interpretation, but um, anyway, I, I'll just leave that for you to <laughs> take it wherever you want.
0: Uh, There's also a a Gospel of Mary, if you've heard
1: about it. Yes, exactly, yes. The Gospel of Mary I absolutely love because, well, first of all, it talks about that she had a certain understanding of things and teachings, uh, alongside Jesus that even the other disciples did not have. They complain. How could he have told you things that we didn't know? And it shows that there was this, you know, you could maybe call deeper initiate knowledge between the two of them, Jesus and Mary Magdalene, that that wasn't even disseminated to the other uh, disciples. They were not Maybe ready for it. I don't. I, you know, who knows? I wasn't there, but there was this mystical, deep understanding. And when we look at some of the science, uh, such as you know quantum physics and torsion physics, and we realize there's a layer of existence that we're not privy to in our normal waking consciousness. But if you take. But if you're on a DMT trip or a five meo trip. You're going to see a DMT world that relates to this, what science is calling you know, the quantum world or the the torsion physics world. In the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, she seems to be all about that. She knows about that. She's talking with Jesus about how matter isn't what we're made of. We are, you know, we are eternal, immortal beings. She really has this quantum physics perspective, which I firmly believe that both her and Jesus had that perspective. They didn't necessarily have the science for it that we had today, but they lived from that awareness that we're immortal. They lived from that awareness. You know, even in the, interestingly, in the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, they talk about that sin doesn't exist. So this tells you there is a you know Jesus wasn't a Christian. If he was anything, he was a Jewish rabbi, right? So, what this tells us is what what we call Christianity today is an interpretation of men, and I will say men, right? Um, you could say the Council of Nicaea in 320, three twenty three three twenty five AD, which put a layer on top and even the people that wrote the gospels it was through their own conscious interpretation the you know the ones that became the canonical gospels so that was their interpretation of what was happening when Jesus and Mary Magdalene were roaming the earth but is it really what the teaching represented and and i would suggest absolutely not and I would suggest my belief is that, you know, how many people have been turned away from any belief in a supernatural existence, a divine that were divine beings? They've been turned away from that because of religion. I mean, I meet more atheists in Seattle where I live who were ex evangelicals or ex, you know, Catholics or ex whatever. And it was religion that turned them off a of belief. But interestingly enough, they might do a psychedelic and then they say, oh my God, I think there's more to our existence, which I think is fascinating.
0: Have you looked into the modern versions of, and there's many forms, but uh, of Satanism where there's this one form, the Levee Satanism, which is basically only just uh, indulging in consensual sex of any kind, it doesn't matter what it is, as long as it's consensual and and basically uh, uh, not viewing anything as being a sin, and uh, the only only reason they call it Satanism is just to it's just like to object to the status quo of the religious churches and that. So it could have been called something else, and and also it's it's a bit uh, in your face to use that term, <laughs> but. Uh, Uh, But they, uh, uh, from what I know, uh, used sex a lot in their rituals and and that.
1: Well, you know, I am not someone who can comment on that because it's not been my area of of study at all, just like Gnosticism hasn't really been either. Um, But what I will say in a larger topic that, you know, I'm on Twitter, right? There's a lot of talk about, pedophilia, and now it's called minor attraction, and, you know, all of this. And what I will say, I actually put a Twitter post up about this a while back. Um, It's so interesting that sexual energy, why is it the folk? I mean, first of all, there's a lot of harm in the world uh, that is a result of the misuse of sexual energy. I mean, I think most people will agree upon that. Uh, Trafficking of of people, you know, the misuse of this energy, uh, you know, you can basically crush a person's spirit through the misuse of sexual energy, or you can elevate a person's spirit. And so it, I, the point here being sexual energy in and of itself, you could say to a certain extent is neutral. It's the emotion and the intention behind the act. That you charge the the sexual energy with, that either elevates your spirit or can crush your spirit. So we know that you know people who've been sexually traumatized or abused, they can be very disassociated. They can, you know, there's been some idea that even schizophrenia can result. So a, a fracturing of their personality as a result of coercion and fear during sex, Uh, and that is the flip opposite of the uh, sex being intended to be an uplifting experience and there really being a heart connection between the two people. And if there's one thing that's drawn me to reclaim the Christian story, because I really do think there's a powerful, powerful, you could say alchemical Teaching there of sex as a powerful uplifter of consciousness. There's something curious to me about Christian mysticism because if we look at people like Saint Teresa of Avila and 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 others, so they're not into sex, we know that, right? But they talk about this ecstasy of being in love with. I don't. I, I don't really know the story so much, but either they call it Jesus Christ or being in love with God, but there's this erotic nature to their writings. I held a guard to Bingham as well. And so there's this charge of emotion, which when you look at the science, the charge of emotion, it actually will shift the consciousness of the body, right? It works to destabilize, to, to actually create a new state of being, when there's enough charge of emotion. With DMT, there's always a a very potent uh, emotional experience. And if you reverse engineer that in an endogenous experience, it takes a, a huge psychological shift, physiological shift in the body to occur for that change in consciousness to happen and emotion is the key either terror so yes could could an altered state happen through rape yes unfortunately or through incredible ecstasy through lovemaking getting an altered state and these christian mystics they had this sense of ecstasy of of love except they made it about celibacy. And so they lost the potency of of what's possible there because they cut off the, you know, they disconnected from the body. They made it seem like the body is impure and only, you, you know, to access this through a disembodied state. But that is really a limited view, uh, a limited way of thinking. And I do not believe if I go to the Gospel of Philip and I read the Gospel of Philip and they're talking about words like the highest. They, I'm not quoting exactly, but they, it's, it says something to the extent of the holiest of the holies is the bridal chamber. And if you read the bridal chamber as the sex act, it gives us a sense there. That when you actually bring your consciousness, attune your ecstatic joy to your partner in an embodied way with the intention to raise your consciousness, the two of you. Well, first of all, at a science, you know, at the level of science, you're synchronizing neurally and training the two consciousnesses and when you have that level of synchronization of the brain waves between the two individuals they're both in sync you are both uh, of the of the uh, the brain waves of both individuals actually become even more coherent and we know that a psychedelic state is a state where there is a high level of synchronization and so that being possible uh organically through lovemaking and having that that heart connection. And so when I look at other mystical traditions, you know, I certainly have a re- lot of respect for Buddhism, for instance, but there isn't that sense of a high charge of emotion. It's somewhat emotionless reaching that void of, an, of enlightenment. And uh, it's curious to me that Rick Straussman, who was a devote Buddhist before he um, did his uh, big research at the University of New Mexico or way back before he wrote the Spirit Molecule book? Uh, he had to rethink that because he said, "Okay, this isn't a void. When I'm going to this DMT realm, it's not empty. It's full of intelligent life." And then he went and wrote his book about the, um, you know, the Old Testament. He got into Hebrew scripture because he felt like there was something maybe that. That that biblical account was evoking that maybe he didn't uh, access in his pre you know in his previous understanding about Buddhism. People who want to um,
0: do sessions to use sexual energy to uh, heal themselves, I guess, or to have an altered state of consciousness, uh, is one of the hurdles. Uh, pornography because since the last 20 years uh, pornography has sexual energy is very much in the mind Uh, and what people find uh, sexually attractive is often something mental and I imagine that pornography uh, and the variety of you can find anything these days online, whatever you can imagine is you can find it. Uh, And uh, it removes people far away from uh, the normal, whatever normal, but you know, like normal sexual activities into like all this weird stuff that uh, might block you from even being aroused unless somebody is like putting hooks in you or spanking you or whatever, you know, like whatever you get off on. But you know what I mean? Like, is that something you meet when you talk to people? Like they, they find it hard to, because there's so much out there.
1: You know, I think that thank you for bringing that up. That is so true. And it is, it is a fact of modern society. It really, really is. And You know what the research is showing is that if you're a habitual consumer of porn, you have rewired your brain to be erotically charged by a screen, by images on a screen, not by a flesh and blood human. So yeah, there there is a co-opting of your natural ability to enter these states, these ecstatic states with a human because you have repatterned yourself towards this other type of sex. And then there's the other aspect which you alluded to is porn sites have the resources to employ the most advanced technology informed by the latest neuroscience about how to keep people on those sites and keep them going deeper and deeper into the content. And it requires people to have a more extreme version of sexuality that they might never even be interested in exploring if they had never seen the screen, if the screens didn't, you know, if internet didn't exist. But it it co-ops their brain in a certain way that they end up going into levels of, quote, entertainment that are more and more sinister that they might never be attracted to just because they need a more extreme dopamine hit. And yet, there is a detoxification, just like if you've been on junk food all your life, and now you're introduced to organic food, there is a detoxification that needs to happen if someone is really consuming that at a you know at a, you know ongoing um, way. And but here's the point: when I look at how our systems are designed to enter a, you could say a trance state, and then a psychedelic state through sex, it's not that we have to learn or become something different to access psychedelic sex, In you know, being sober. It's that we have to realize it's set and setting, just like a psychedelic, taking a psychedelic. It's the expectation, the belief around what sex is, and porn certainly distorts that. Porn gives us a version of sex that has no... It, it's fast food sex it's not having the the foreplay and the preparation to move out of your mind into your body into an embodied state prior to intercourse prior to you know the whole experience of sex there's not that entombment. it gives us an artificial sense that you, sex can be very fast and, and, and presented in a certain way, but it also, it, it so there's the set in the setting and the, the setting is the overall understanding of what sex is, is sex just what is presented on porn? And because so many people get their sexual education from porn, they, they only see that as the possibility, right? And, you know, I mentioned earlier about the misuse of sexual energy, how it can harm people and splint fracture their their conscious mind. They they're living in a disassociated state and traumatized for the rest of their life. And I firmly believe it's because of the repression through religion and culture of what a positive vision of sex could be. And we only see it's either forbidden. Sex is either forbidden or it's presented in this distorted way in porn. And we have no vision that sex could be this healthy, consciousness-raising experience. And so because we don't have that vision of it, we don't have the proper set and setting. You know, people talk about plant medicines and they talk about reciprocity with the plant and not having a transactional relationship with the plant. Well, you could absolutely apply the same mindset to sex. We have a transactional relationship with sex thanks to porn. We do not have the sense of a woman's body being a, a, a way to access the the heightened states of consciousness. You know, the, the, the words that in modern culture are associated with degradation and insults are all to do with the female body, whether it's cunt, whore you know, pussy, pussy being weakness and all of that doesn't give a woman or man or people, uh, the connotation that there could be anything sacred there. Right. So those words, by the way, were at one time in ancient culture, cunt was associated with a goddess. Pussy was associated with a particular goddess that was always, no, pussy was associated with, uh, you know, sacred as well. And uh, bitch was associated with a particular goddess that always showed up with dogs, right? So these words have been changed over time. And when you take the language, when you change the language, you change the meaning. Just like if you started talking about ayahuasca as a drug, you're going to have a different relationship to it than if you talk about it as a plant medicine. If you start talking about, you know, these words that we use in modern songs and so forth all of those words that i just mentioned to do with the female body you are all of a sudden coming in with a certain set and setting certain mindset that there's nothing sacred here it's just something to get off on right and it's something to use someone but there's no sense that there's something more magical and yeah so i think porn is a really big problem in my un- in what i've boil it down to is this. Everyone can have psychedelic sex sober with the proper, if they have the set and setting, right? It's a set and setting that is the key. And what blocks this is placebo and nocebo, right? So the belief that this is possible and nocebo, the belief against it being possible, right? And the biggest belief against it being possible is is religion and the other one is culture. When you combine porn and religion together, that is the two the, those two combined are going to prevent people from accessing this energy. And then when you get into the more you know, whether you say conspiracy theories or whatever, that maybe religion and trafficking or you know abuse actually are in bed together you know pardon the pun then it even becomes more bizarre that maybe religion was intended somewhat maybe vatican or whatever to enslave people through by not letting them understand the vital role of sex in our human life you know so there you go
0: yeah it's uh a very powerful energy. You can, you know, when you do something stupid, you can blame like, "Oh, I was very drunk." But it, kind of the same way, if you have uh, strong sexual or if you're very horny, you can make decisions that you might not have done if you weren't. You know, like so. It 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 can be used negatively if you want to make somebody do something they might normally not do. You know,
1: uh, you're absolutely right. And so, you know, I can just hear a religious person saying, yes, and that's exactly why, you know, the Bible says lust is the root of all evil. You know, I can really hear someone say that. And yes, we are talking about a powerful energy for sure. And we are talking about a powerful energy that can be used even naively, you know, even if you're not part of some big, you know, you know, a larger trafficking thing. The Innocently, an individual can misuse this energy just by being too consumed in a certain way. And so that could be relating to this whole teaching of less. But the underlying point is, because we have lost the sacred traditions, just like with plant medicine, today it's going more towards corporate. It's becoming more... People are being more interested in the synthetic uh, use of, uh, you know, making plant medicines in the lab. And it's being taken over by uh, big money. They see money in it. And we're going further and further and further away from what indigenous cultures had with the sacredness of the plants. The same thing is with sex. We have moved so far away from what originally was a very sacred understanding about sex. And so it's not the intensity of the sexual energy running through your body that's the problem. What's the problem is the lack of ever being taught as a young person, growing up in the world today, what to do with that sexual energy you have it running around in your body, you get on porn, and you're being schooled as to this is what to do. And a lot of it, you know, I don't watch porn personally. But when I look at the statistics, it's becoming more and more violence against women, it's becoming more and more extreme violence, really. And this is not what would have been seen in ancient cultures. And I really appreciate it by you, Alex, I listened to your um, podcast on the Twitter space, and you really, uh, really appreciated how you brought up the um, the fact that this there was even you talked about the original uh, origin of the word shamanism, and it, that even not being a word they would have used at a lot of these indigenous cultures, and it was made up by an anthropologist, and how medicine women were part of this. And, and there was these uh, creation myths where it, the, the primordial energy was the female. And, you know, I certainly believe in a balance of masculine and feminine, and that is necessary to restore balance on the earth. But when you squash the feminine, and when porn just sees us as dominating the feminine and squashing the feminine, we don't, have that sense that the, the, there was that original sense in plant medicine cultures and also in um, early cultures where there was more matriarchy or, or egalitarian, egalitarian um, hierarchy. And what. There is some speculation. I know this isn't seen in a lot of the writings, but even the Elysian Mysteries, there's a book by Renee Eisler called Secret Pleasure. And yes, we know that, that there was a lot of secrecy, On penalty of death. You couldn't talk about what was in the Elysian Mysteries. But there is artifacts to show that there was quite possibly the inner mystery was sex, so they were given the kykeon, or however you want to say that the you know the drink, the ritual uh, hallucinogen, psychedelic drink at, at the outset of the Eleusinian Mysteries, but further in, you know, as they journeyed further into the mystery, it's quite possible that there was actually a teaching about sex being the pathway to this altered state. And we do know, I mean, the illusion mysteries happened over such a long period of time, it morphed and changed. And it became the sex became more about drunken orgies. But earlier on, when the women were leading it, there is reason to believe that it was about people would get the psychedelic drink to give them a reference experience of, okay, this is what it feels like to have this ecstatic state. Hey, I can feel this in my body. You don't have to tell me about it. I don't have to have an intellectual knowledge. I can feel it in my body. Okay, now that I've felt it in my body, then you start learning about how to actually be with another human being in an intimate situation to evoke that kind of energy completely sober. And and it is... I believe, I mean, that goes along with the hieros Gamos ritual that was um, celebrated in different parts of the world that used sex, not as a fertility rite, but as a consciousness shifter.
0: You mentioned with, uh, of course, we have porn and that, but we also are going to see more uh, uh, robotic sexual partners. And there you also have the opportunity to not have to consider what you're allowed to do to a human because it's a robot so for instance uh, you mentioned earlier about pedophiles i mean you could have child robots i mean it's just a it's just a a toy a toy so it's not really and i struggle with it myself because i'm one of those people who believe in in people should be allowed to do whatever they like as long as they don't hurt anybody but i still have an I don't know how to feel about, like, somebody having a child robot sex toy. Uh, Even though they're not hurting anybody, it's still, like, uh, a bit suspect. You know, like, it's, uh, uh, you know, I can't really be, I can't be against it on principle, but I'm against it, if you know what I mean.
1: Well, yeah, may I just talk about that? Because we are in such a unprecedented time in human history right? And uh, there is so many parallels between how the plants are, go, you know, are being co-opted by labs and capitalism and sex. It, it, it's so being removed from the indigenous ancient wisdom. It's It's just shocking, right? And yeah, I mean, I am not anti-technology. You and I are talking right now halfway across the world through technology. Technology has enabled us you know, to be able to be connected and, and do things we couldn't otherwise do. But there are ways that technology is actually going to regress us as humanity. And one of the ways is introducing artificial intelligence into a sexual situation. Because I mean, first of all, it is it, it it is going to more likely dictate to you what kind of experience you're going to have rather than you dictating to it because it's going to i mean technology like that is working through telepathy more than anything it is reading your thoughts implanting thoughts and you're not going to be in control at to a certain extent. If porn is bringing you into more and more of a violent type of nature, well, so could this. But beyond that, what it's doing is, yeah, I mean, AI can now shift feelings, and, and there's a World Economic Forum that's just rolled out these earbuds that uh, they're suggesting can be put in the workplace if someone is uh, depressed, they can shift them to a pleasure state and so forth just by shifting their brainwaves. Uh, so there's a level of us being able to maintain our autonomy as individual thinking humans and not being thought controlled. And if you allow yourself to be, uh, you know, having a sexual situation with the AI, you're also giving over your mind to that as well. But beyond that, it is human emotion going back to what you said earlier about uh, you know being overtaken by sexual feelings and then maybe uh, misusing that and hurting someone or whatever the what we have been given as human beings is a a safeguard against sexual energy going to a certain extent and and harming another person and the safeguard is first of all what is having a human connection that is based on love. And again, just like pleasure and love, both of these words have been co-opted to a certain extent. Um, Pleasure is being reformed into all these different distorted meanings, and so is love. But the whole idea that when you have a heart connection with another person, and this can be scientifically quantified, if you look at heart maths technology, when you have a heart connection with another person, you are not going to do things that are just in your self interest, because the empathy is there, that will stop you from doing that. Plus, when you're in a heart connection, this is what allows you to access your heart is the biggest electromagnetic field, it produces the biggest electromagnetic field in the human body. And heart math has shown that there's something called social coherence, when two people are in sync in emotion, there's that love connection, uh, whether it's romantic or not, but we're talking about romantic here, then there is the potential of that the sexual energy being combined with heart energy, which allows a, a beneficial experience for both people. When there is, then when the heart is shut down, which can happen through trauma to through different things, then that sexual energy can just take over and go to extent where the other person's uh, wishes and desires are not taken into account. But this also brings me to another you know, topic related to this and the whole topic of inducing an altered state through different means of using sexuality. And there is some people that talk about, uh, Jamie Neal wrote a book about recapture the trap, the recapture the rapture. And in his book, he talks about, uh, accessing a psychedelic state through sex and he makes the statement that it would only happen through BDSM and i categorically disagree with him and for for several reasons one is that we have to define what an altered state is an altered state means a lot of different things an altered state is not always a beneficial experience long term to a human being right i can get into a car accident and go into a blissful ecstatic state because the opioid system has taken over and I no longer feel the pain. But when that opioid levels uh, reduce over time, I'm going to be traumatized. I'm going to be disconnected. I'm going to, you know, if it was a really severe accident, I'm going to have a PTSD symptoms. There's a lot going on there that, that, you know you need to heal your consciousness from but did i have bliss in an altered state momentarily yes i did and the the same thing happens when you induce pain and humiliation and uh, domination in sex yes you can get what is called uh, in the in the kink community a subspace which really when you look into a subspace we are not uh inducing a, a full-on psychedelic state. I mean it, it, yes, it probably could be because this when we're talking about um you know the misuse and 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 trafficking and so forth, uh people are talking about adrenochrome, it actually could be DMT. So yes, it could be. I take that back. But not every DMT experience is an experience you want to repeat, right? You know, and and you may be even in that kind of pain, humiliation, domination subspace when you go to that altered space, which is a disassociated space during sex. You, you may you may have some bliss right then, right? But what people fail to talk about, and what Jamie didn't address in his book at all, is what's called the after effects, right? And this is why in the BDSM, it's well known that you have aftercare. Your body is going through a shock process because you have induced an emergency situation for your body. It's as if you got into a car accident, right? Tremendous pain, trauma, shock. So yes, you might have elevated levels of the opioids, the psychedelics in our system, because your brain is sensing possible death and threat. So you're putting your brain under death and threat to kind of trick your brain into giving you a high. But then your body, you know, as a book is written, your body keeps the score. Your body knows when that bliss state has worn off, that you now are a lot of times people talk about having um, symptoms of the flu afterwards, or, you know, they need a warm blanket because their body is shivering. Uh, They want to be left alone. They have a lower depressed mood on and on and on. There is a recovery process and it, you could match it up to if I got into an accident, you know, car or something like that, there's that letdown and that trauma. You have to protect the person. Now, the opposite is when you induce a positive, loving state and engage in sex that is pleasure without pain, pleasure without domination, pleasure for pleasure's sake, with two people, with the intention of accessing a state, and both people have the 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 what I talked about before about the set and setting, the intention and all of that, and the understanding, but. That positive version of sex without the pain and domination, humiliation evokes a different. You get the bliss during, you get the, the surge of the DMT during, because you've shifted your state through that ecstatic synchronization of brain waves. You get that surge of all the endorphins, all the neurochemicals you get the surge of DMT. But then the big difference, this is why I don't have to talk about bad and good and evil and good. All I have to talk about is science. So I'm not saying um, BDSM bad and sacred sex good. I don't have to make those distinctions. All I have to say is, what are the after effects on your body? When you put your body through a a threat situation where you almost mimic if, if your body thinks it's going to freaking die, you might say, oh, I'm having this, you know, I'm going to create a scene with my partner of he's going to rape me, right? But it's, it's a consensual BDSM scene. You know, who's to say that person's wrong? They're consensual, right? But the problem that we're not talking about when we talk about these things is that your body doesn't know, your body doesn't know the difference between what that you made this consensual agreement. Your body is still going to respond to being hit, being talked down to, being humiliated, degraded. Your body is still going to respond to that as it's as a real threat. It it only knows it the literal thing that's happening to you. And so you might get this high, but then you're going to get this huge crash that you have to pay for. And a lot of times it's just talked about that's the price that we have to pay to get the high. We have to pay the price to have this suffering afterwards. And I think that's just messed up. That is not the way that we were designed as human beings. We were designed to be able to have this pleasure without pain, pleasure with mutual heart, you know, loving connection, pleasure with this sense of, accessing the divine and the after effects of that is you have heightened energy in your body you don't feel like you have the flu your body is surging with energy you feel fantastic you don't feel like you have depression or sadness i mean certainly people can have different experiences in you know sex but for the most part your your biofield the electromagnetic field around your body is fortified not compromised you have actually increased the at an at a a level of biophysics you have fortified that level of your existence your energetic existence in your body and so you're going to have beneficial psychological consequences you're going to feel good positive great you're going to have beneficial immune system results your immune system is going to be strengthen. You're going to feel healthier, not like you're going to get sick. You're going to have a greater connection to your spirit, your higher self. You're going to feel more in tune with your intuition and your own self rather than feel fragmented and disconnected after a pain domination experience. And so that is really misunderstood. Today, we just kind of lump everything in together. Am I getting an altered state? Am I getting a moment of bliss? okay, I don't care if someone's whipping me, right? Who cares? My body's just this thing. I can drag around and make it do anything. Well, that's just totally wrong. It's not the way the body operates. The body is intelligent. The body has wisdom. And you can't just make the body go through a pain threat situation and you not to have consequences. Your body will react like that as if you were in a fight that you did not ask for, and someone was beating up on you. It would be the same repercussions. Your body is going to keep that score as the book, as there's a book title based on that. So just wanted to mention that.
0: It reminds me of me having studied uh, serial killers and they often have the that bliss in the act of killing, but then it's very common that they uh, afterwards don't feel too good about it and that's often why it, it serial killers there's a long time before the next victim because they're like feel bad about it or they try to not do it again and that but then the, the yearning for that bliss is so strong that they do it again, you know, uh, with the, you know so it's it, almost like the same what you described, people who are chasing that BDSM bliss is the same kind of thing a uh, serial killer chases.
1: Okay, well, can I say a couple things about that? Thank you for bringing that up. Well, there's a couple things about that. One is, do you remember the Nexium cult thing? You remember that?
0: Yes, I I don't know much about it, but... uh, Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's kind of a little faded memory for me as well. But people were asking, like, why did they recruit... Like, some of the people that were actually part of this cult were educated women. You know, they looked like on paper, like these were people that were not lost in society. You know, they, these are people that had good jobs and, you know, they look like they were functioning members of society. Why would these people, why would these women go and be under this guy, right? Um, where he took away their rights and he made them slaves and all of this stuff. Well, I was curious, right, just like you were curious about what you just said, right? I was curious, okay, what was the indoctrination process to get these women to be part of that cult? Because if someone is going to give up their thinking, give up their autonomous mind to another person, there's always, just like the Eleusinian Mysteries had an initiation process. I mean, obviously, I'm not equating the Eleusinian Mysteries to a dark thing. I mean, that was a beautiful, beautiful, life-giving uh, festival. But... There's always an induction process. And what I read, I can't remember the guy's name that went to jail for the next same thing, but the head guy. But what he did is he brought, I mean, this is kind of dark, just as a trigger warning for people, but he brought the women in. So he brought the potential candidates in for his cult into a room and he showed them some videos. And what the videos were, they weren't movies. They were actual footage of, I can't remember the gang, but some gang, I believe it was in Mexico, that um, habitually rapes and then dismembers women, right? And these um, videos were actual graphic footage of that. And so the potential candidates for the Nexium cult would be brought into a room and would, would be asked to watch these. Depending on how they responded to the videos would be whether they would be brought into the cult or not. Um, If they had no visceral response, like they didn't have shock or horror, they didn't have a sadness, they just had a blank face, um, then they were very likely to end up being willing to be part of the cult. Um, if they were wanted to run out of the room, like oh my god, that's disgusting, I want to run out of the room, or they started crying or they started shivering with fear, then they never became part of the cult. And what this tells me, because I understand how the nervous system and trauma works, is the people that had no emotion. It's not like they're you know bad people. It means that they have been traumatized in the past probably sexually. And now they are in a free state. They are completely in a disassociated state. So, and this is why someone could eventually kill too, right? So you have no emotion. You have no empathy because you can't access empathy because you're in a completely disassociated state. And that happens. Someone can, this can happen when you're, people talk about being raped as a kid and watching it from the ceiling. So they leave their body and they just watch it. Well, as a coping mechanism, they end up living their life in that disassociated state. So they could, you know, watch something that the vast majority of people would say, that's friggin' disgusting. I'm getting the hell out of here. This is like weird shit. I want nothing to do with this. The vast majority of people would feel that way. But if you're in this traumatized state of disassociation, you can watch that and have no register of feeling because you have no access to feeling. And so that is the type of person that became a candidate for the Nexium cult because you were already in a numbed out state. And they could and this is this is also why people go for I know people will argue against this, but you know, they the guy that wrote your body keeps a score. He wrote a wonderful paper called the Revictimization uh, of trauma. And it basically shows that when you have paired fear and pain and erotic feelings early on, when you're early in printing is a state of arousal with fear and pain, which happens during a, coercive sexual experience, you can't stop a a arousal from happening, but if it's paired with uh, fear and pain, then those neural pathways, uh, neurons that wire together, fire together. And so you have this combining that happens in your early experience. And then so later on, you can, as an adult, say, I don't get turned on when someone touches me in a loving way. I don't get turned on when someone is nice to me. I only get turned on when they treat me like shit, when they hurt me. And that's because that has been there's been that connection made in your brain early on. Now, the problem I have is people will teach, okay, that's your erotic blueprint blueprint. So that's just your choice. And we should just give everyone choice. My problem with that is it's not really choice because the choice was made for you. When you were a child, when you were five years old, six years old, seven years old, you didn't want your parent to come into your bedroom and rape you. You weren't thinking about that. You were thinking about your dolls or your cartoons or something. It's not what you wanted, right? And so, and now we're supposed to say that that's my, what, what, what my forever choice is. My body's always going to want to be beat up when I'm having sex. Like the, the, we don't understand that that was neurally imprinted, but the the bright light at the end of this tunnel is that our brains have the capacity. There's neuroplasticity that's built in. So we can actually retrain our brains to be, used to an experience that is not including pain and domination, right? But it, it just like getting neurally disconnected from porn, if you are a porn consumer, getting neurally unentangled from this type of combination that is set up in your brain, it can, it can be untangled as well. Right? So, so that's the thing when people say, okay, this is a consensual choice. That's actually not accurate. And it sets people up to thinking that, you know, this is what I have to do. If I want to get a blissed out subspace state, I have to pay for it with these terrible feelings afterwards. The the point is everybody can experience a state without that. They can experience a state of joy and all of this and, and, um, DMT and psychedelic state it, sexually without having to pay for it through pain and domination. And, you know, some people think there's some people I, I've heard about, it, I'm not on Instagram, but that are proposing the fact that, oh, this is the forbidden fruit. If you're into pain and domination and all of this sexually, you're being really rebellious and counter society. That's BS. Because if you look into church history, church history, and Renee Eisler documents this in her book, Sacred Pleasure. If you look into church history, they wanted people, they call it mortification of the flesh. They wanted to combine a state of religious ecstasy with pain in the body. So women would, nuns in a certain time in church history would confess their absolute ecstatic love of Jesus Christ and say they were marrying, they were brides of Christ and they would carve a cross with a knife into their chest to prove their love for Jesus. They would, you know, all the stuff we think about in BDSM today about rope tying and, and whipping, they would do these things as nuns to their flesh to prove their, ero- you know, their erotic union with Jesus. And some of these women were canonized based on the level of torture that they inflicted on their body uh, as saints by the church for doing this. So it is not a rebellious move to do this to you. What it is, is if we look at the biophysics of all of this, we, again, we do not need to talk about moralistic things like good or bad. We do not need to talk about this. All we have to talk about is what does pain and, and that kind of sex do to your energetic field? Another word for that is your biofield in new age terms that we call your aura. But the, these, the, the aura is frigging real. It is a scientific fact. You can measure it with gas discharge visualization. A lot of people have heard of Kirlian photography where they measure this energy in the body. Well, now there is a newer technology called gas discharge visualization where you can actually measure this all around the body. And it is used in some countries in the world in Eastern Europe. It is used as a measure of your immune system functioning. So, They can actually look at your aura and determine what your health is, what your physical health is. They can look at this and determine what your psychological health is. Well, what we know is that when you get into states of fear, when you get into states of, you know, terror, which can happen in a consensual um, scene, then you are shrinking this energy in your body. You can actually see this through this gas discharge visualization. Another way of another aspect of the science of this is the work of math. They show very specifically what happens when someone is in, they you know, even frustration, which is much less than terror. What that does to the electric magnetic energy in your body, how it shrinks it, what fear does to the body, as opposed to love and, you know, appreciation and compassion and how that expands the the experience in your body. So, you know, just to put all that out there
0: as well. Considering the state of society, you could almost say the most rebellious thing is uh, traditional wife and missionary these days <laughs>
1: yeah but no but you know what yeah but you know what so that is the conundrum that we have so when I went through sexual education here's what I was presented by the college system like I swear to you guys like, this sounds crazy that they're teaching sexual educators this but I swear to god two things there's vanilla sex and there's BDSM and I, now, when I look back at what I learned, I'm like, how stupid is that? There's vanilla, which is basically equivalent to missionary. And there's BDSM, which is which is suggested as the edgy, cool stuff, right? Well, BDSM is going to destroy the, your biofield. <laughs> it's going to mess you up, right? It's going to lower your immune system. It's going to do all these things we talked about. Vanilla isn't going to give you the psychedelic state because there's not enough There's not enough energy in it. Vanilla to me, like of course these words have been, you know, can be you can put any kind of interpretation on top of it you want. But when I hear vanilla, and why vanilla is not very interesting to most people, is it sounds like I'm kind of going through the motions, sex doesn't have too much passion, it's not too exciting, you're just a missionary, you're kind of just like don't have too much pleasure. Now we got to be careful, not too much pleasure. Right. And it just feels kind of almost like sex on autoplay. Like you are just kind of going through the motions and that, that probably, you know, some religious couples could say that's the only way to have sex. But that again is, this is, this is, we, we just don't have in modern society what we used to have in ancient cultures. And that's an understanding of what sacred sex means. People sometimes think sacred sex equates to vanilla sex and boring sex. And that's just not true. Sacred sex is having the set and setting. So it's having the intention. Just like you don't take a plant and say, I'm doing a drug and I'm just getting high at a party you're taking a plant medicine you're doing it with intention you're doing it with maybe uh you know uh, you know a sacred guide shaman someone knows or or you know or you're as i've heard you say alex and i really appreciate you're seeing the plant in the intelligence in the plant and that knowledge actually comes from some of these ancient color cultures that honor the feminine do you know when they honor the feminine they honored nature as having wisdom but they also honor the body as having wisdom. And that's what we've lost today. We've lost that sense that the body has wisdom, right? And so that's the thing here is that when you see that the body has wisdom, (laughs) we're not just vanilla sex is sex as a physical act. It's just two bodies doing something together. But when you look at the gospel of Philip, and when you combine that with some of this science that unfortunately has been suppressed from mainstream science discussion, which is biophysics, which is understanding torsion physics, which is understanding that we operate not just as physical material beings, we operate as multidimensional beings, we operate based on vibration, all of our senses work based on vibration. And what's interesting is, it's only when they've tried to use AI to replicate in VR, a, a human experience to replicate a full sensory experience, have they they wanted to learn, OK, how do humans work? How does do our senses work? And they realize our senses work based on vibration. That's how they work. Right. And because they wanted to replicate it with AI. But we are vibrational beings. We don't just operate in the physical world. We operate in the quantum world. And when we get that sense, sex is not just about some missionary. It's not just about, okay, let's not have too much fun now. No, it's about full on passion, full on wildness, full on that. But you're doing it with a guided sense, a container you know, a container of what this experience is. It's not just I'm getting off. It's that my body is a, yeah, it's a physical being. And yes, I can have physical experiences. I'm going to have some physical experiences during sex for sure, but I'm also engaging this energetic part of me, this unseen part of me, this part of me that I mentioned that you can see with the gas discharge visualization. I'm engaging that part of me, the part of me that Mary Magdalene said in the gospel of Mary Magdalene, that we're not just matter. You're engaging that aspect of yourself in sex. So sex becomes about vibration and emotion is the key. So when I think about vanilla sex, I think about someone is they're fantasizing about porn. They're thinking about someone else they're in love with. They're fucking you, but their mind is a million miles away, right? They are not embodied in that moment. Their mind and body are split, right? So that's number one, going to block the psychedelic experience. There has to be a moving out of your head into your heart, into your body. So your nerve endings are alive, you're actually feeling everything rather than just, you know, off somewhere a million miles away in your head, fantasy will block it immediately will block the full embodied experience immediately. So there needs to be, a, a, you know, a learning how to get out of fantasy and get into the present moment. And that's hard because in modern culture, we're so used to using our devices, we're neurally entrained to our cell phone, we're looking at notifications, and so we're constantly looking outside of ourselves and to have that sense of deep reflection and go in into our body and experience our body during sex is an attunement, right?
0: So Okay, I have I have a direct question now when you said all that. Um so uh with a guy uh, usually it's not like for, like with a woman that can have multiple orgasms i mean a guy can have that as well but usually uh there's a, after orgasm uh it has to rest and before you can start again so in that because of that you don't want to have an orgasm as a guy too quickly because you especially if the woman uh, has not achieved her state yet and in my case uh, when I come to a moment where I feel like I might have an orgasm the way the only way I can stop that is to disconnect and think about something that is not very something uh, like I I always joked to my wife that I'm thinking about football because it's boring (laughs) like just to disconnect. So I won't come, Uh, but that annoys her because uh, she can sense I'm disconnecting. But if I don't, then I might come in that moment. So how would you suggest that uh, to solve that?
1: Well, first of all, first of all, I want to congratulate you for being so attuned with your wife that she can sense that like that is phenomenal. You know, you guys are already so attuned that she knows when you're shifting. Really, that is a testament testament to the fact that you guys are already doing a lot of this, right? Because, do you, like if like if you are attuned, you will know when your partner, you know, exits mentally. But so many people aren't. So that is brilliant that you have that. And I hear what you're saying. Um, she can feel that way. So there's 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 different things you can do. You can actually stop having intercourse in that moment and, you know, just start doing some other kind of, uh, play, right. Whether it's giving her oral sex or, you know, kissing or whatever, doing something else, but actually stopping it. Um, you can do that. Um, but there's different breath work things that there's different, uh, releasing the energy through your breath um, rather than letting it build up, you know, in your genitals uh, so that you feel like you're going to go over the edge. Um, But slowing it down, right? Um, Actually taking yourself out and taking some breaths and then going back, um, right? But it does take a somewhat practice to be able to extend Because here's the thing. It's not just, um, okay, she hasn't come yet, right? When we look at some of the research about how, okay, how does an ecstatic trance state happen during intercourse? How does it happen? Well, it happens in somewhat the same way that Indigenous cultures, for instance, use song and dance rhythmically, to alter their state, right? Number one, the song needs to have emotion. So your sex needs to have emotion, right? If you don't have a lot of emotion, if you're not like passionately sinking into, you know, really into your partner, like you're not really, if you're pissed, for instance, if you're pissed off at your partner because she didn't do something that you wanted her to do earlier on in the day, or she's she's ticked off at you, this ain't gonna work, right? So you both have to be thinking good, positive thoughts towards each other, Your thoughts carry energy and even more so actually feeling like a lot of couples, when they first meet, they're like, Oh my God, I'm so into this person. I so love this person. Well, if you can remember back to when you were so into this person and have that energy, that's so vital. Because if we think about indigenous cultures, when they use song and dance, the song is going to have to have an emotional connection to it. If the song is just a rote song in a, in a trance ritual, uh, ceremony, it's not going to have any potency to it. It needs to have an emotion behind the song, right? But it needs to have a rhythmic quality to it as, as well, because that creates the neural entrainment. And and they they sometimes use dance or drumming, and it's that rhythmic quality. So when we're talking about intercourse, there needs to be an attunement. It sounds like you guys have that, where she senses what you're feeling, your sense what you're feeling, because that allows you, for instance, to... If she's getting, you know, so with the rhythmic entrainment, you want two things. You want a continuous, long-standing rhythm that's built up. No Indigenous ritual that has to do with dance or music is over and done within five minutes. They do these things for hours, right? The reason why they do these long dance and sing, singing um, rituals is because it takes a while for us to alter into that trance state, your body just doesn't go, bam, I've done five minutes of dance and I'm there, right? It needs to attune over time, that continual rhythm that, that alters your, your brainwave frequency. Same thing in sex. It, we it's not, it's not only her, you know, about, okay, how long before she orgasmed your, as, as the female, as a male body, both of your brains Sure, you can orgasm and get a dopamine release in in two minutes, right? Of course you can. Of course you can. But I'm not talking about just that kind of of dopamine uh, surged, you know, that kind of sex. I'm talking about a deeper, more trained sexual experience where you can get to a more mystical state. That takes time for both the man and the woman. And that needs to happen over, you know, 45 minutes, an hour, longer time. And it does, this is why it's more like a spiritual practice because your body might want to say, okay, we're ready to like get this thing done with, right? But it's you kind of, at certain times, mind over matter, breathing, you know, stopping the action, going, doing something else for a while, coming back. And so making it a spiritual practice of being able to attune to these energies. So it needs, in terms of the intercourse, it needs a continuous rhythm over time. But as any woman or person will tell you, that if it's the same rhythm continuously for an hour, everyone's going to get bored. So it can't, this is why the whole missionary thing is BS. You're never going to get there in missionary because if you try to do one position the whole time, your brain is going to turn off if it's bored, right? There has to be some some sense of novelty to it. So, and by the way, I'm you can read all this in a paper by Adam Saffron um, about the, the uh, ecstatic states and trance states during sex. And so there needs to be a sense of novel, novelness to it. And what do I mean by that? It means changing the intensity of how deep you're going, changing how, How fast you're going, right? Changing the position. So, varying all the things you can vary as variables, right? Depth, speed, motion, and then position of bodies, all of those things. But if you try to change all of them at once, it'll be too erratic for the brain. The brain's like, what? What are we doing now? What? 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 But you need to have a certain steady rhythm for a while. And then, when you're attuned to each other's body, you know, the woman can actually initiate the movement or the man, you know, a lot of times it's the man initiating the movement. That's cool, whatever. But when one of you, whoever's initiating the movement, senses that it's time to move because you're both intuitively, you know, synced with each other and you're like, okay, let's switch this up. You switch it up, you go to, I don't know, doggy style, you have her legs uh, up against your chest and, uh, you know, doing it that way, um, you know uh, you you're you're spooning side to side and um, having sex that way, how whatever different position that you're doing, right, or you're going you know um, super super, 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 super slow, like so slow, slow and and coming all the way out and then going all the way back in super 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 slow or going like super energetic, so friggin' energetic, right? Like you're sweating. It's like a friggin' workout, your heart's beating, but then you slow it way down at a certain point. That kind of novel um, switching things up um, of the rhythmic movement is exactly what is needed to induce a trance state. And you know, a lot of people talk about their study, you know, Tantra or some Eastern method. Well, we have to get our breathing in sync. We have to do it. And I do not teach that. The reason why I do not teach that is that requires a lot of cognitive capacity to try to control your breath. The last thing we want to do is have you thinking too much because we want to get you into a trance state. So we don't, don't want you to like be analyzing things and try to figure things out. We want you to be like totally chill in your body in an intuitive type of way. But what to note is, If you're in this kind of rhythmic connection with your partner, your breath is going to automatically sink. Your breath is going to sink. It's just going to be an automatic thing that happens as a result of it. Oh, and by the way, can I just say one more thing? Okay, so there's a lot of talk right now about, okay, the way to get a DMT, uh, endogenous DMT, that's in your body to be upregulated is through hyperventilating. You know, there's the Wim Hof, there's the holographic and all of that. And listen, to each his own, anybody anybody can do anything with their body that they want. I'm not going to tell anybody that they can't do anything with their body. But when you realize what you are doing, just kind of like the BDSM we talked about a second ago, what you're doing is you are mimicking a threat situation in your body when you're doing that. You are telling your body um we might be dying of oxygen you are starving your brain for oxygen and your brain is surging DMT just like if your brain was dying in a near-death experience so yes you're going to get a DMT surge through those different extreme breath practices hundred percent but I do not recommend those especially to women who have had a history of trauma because guess what you're doing you are invoking a, a fight, flight, or freeze experience in your nervous system, that's what you're doing to get the DMT state. And it's not like our bodies can just go through a trauma and then walk away the next day and have no residual, especially the female body because our sexual organs are connected to our vagus nerve, which is the major mind-body regulator. And the vagus nerve regulates breath as well. So you can't just like play with that shit and say, okay, I'm going to go into this extreme breath work and it's not going to have any long lasting repercussions on my nervous system. Of course, it's going to, you've just mimicked an almost death state. You, you've you put your body your nervous system in a state of panic to get a high. And what I'm talking about during sex is a gentle way through lovemaking, but it's certainly not a vanilla missionary way you know the way i'm talking about sex if you're doing it quote i hate to say this correctly but quote correctly is there should be sweat pouring off you at the end like this is freaking energetic you you know your passion you're like full in if someone came and asked you a question that was an analytical question about oh what are you doing tomorrow you know, Jenny or Alex, what's what's on your calendar tomorrow? You'd be like you couldn't even formulate an answer because you're so in the moment. That's what I'm talking about in this type of sex, and that's where the DMT can show up with that kind of altered state change.
0: Cool. So, if people want to check out your work or where can they find you?
1: Sure. Yeah, um, DrJennyMartin.com is my website, and I'm on Twitter. I'm on X at Jenny Martin DR. Uh, so that's, I'm really not on the other platforms, but that's mainly where I'm at. So, and I, yeah, I, I I did a podcast before I'm going to revamp it again. Um, but that's on my website as well. And there's some other, um, previous webinars on the website that you can watch for free as well. Cool. Thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thank you. Fun to talk with you.
0: Again, follow me on X, Born Alchemist, and uh, YouTube Rumble. And please leave n- a nice review and a five-star review on Spotify. Uh, and also share the podcast in social media. Uh, to end, we will listen to Tom Munch doing a cover of the old-time classic Put Your Arms Around Me, Honey. Originally by Junie McCree. Freedom is in the mind. Put your arms around me, honey, hold me tight. Huddle up and cuddle up with all your might. Oh, babe, when you're in my eyes, eyes that I just idolize. When they look at me, my heart begins to float. Then it starts rocking like a motorboat. Oh, oh. I never knew any girl like you. When they look at me, my heart begins to float. Then it starts a rocking like
1: a motorboat. Oh. Oh, I never knew any girl like you